starting from verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews who had come with her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they moved the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this, so that you may believe, so that they may believe you sent me. After this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. You know, during the week, I watched a uh, short talk. It's actually kind of a five-minute TED Talk kind of thing, uh, given by a paramedic, an ambulance driver, talking about his experiences uh, in the moments when people are about to die. That in his job, he very often comes across people who are just about to die. And he says that in, early in his career, when people asked him, am I dying, he would lie to them. And he would try and protect their feelings and avoid the pain of confronting death. And he would say, no, you're not. But he says, now he tells people the truth. When they say, am I going to die? He says, yes. Yes, you are. 
And he says, it's really interesting to see the way people actually can receive that, can accept that in that moment. But the whole talk is actually about the three things that he's observed everyone wants in those moments, realizing they're about to die. He says the responses are pretty common. And there are three things he's observed people are desperate for and long for when they're confronted that they're about to die. And firstly, he says people want forgiveness. He says people regret what they've done. They regret how they have lived, how they spent their time, what they did with their life. They didn't love their family enough. He says people faced with death evaluate their life and they want forgiveness. Secondly, he says people want immortality. They want more life. They want to keep on living. They want to continue. And for many, when they realize, but that's not going to happen, I'm going to die, he says they want to be remembered. And often people will ask him, this man they've never met before, will you remember me? And thirdly, he says people want significance. They want to know that their life had meaning, that their life had purpose that they existed for a reason, they made a difference, that it meant something. It's just interesting that this guy involved in people's last moments, faced with imminent death, he says people are forced to think about life and they're not asking him for a new iPhone or expensive new shoes or one last burger. They want forgiveness. They want immortality. They want significance. And just straight up, like spoiler alert right here at the very beginning, do you know what God offers us? Do you know what Jesus himself had to die in our place so that we could have for free? What God's gift to us in Jesus, the Bible says, is forgiveness, immortality and eternal life and real significance, real life, real purpose. So that's what we're offering to you tonight It's what God freely gives us in Jesus. You can be forgiven no matter what you've done. You can live forever no matter who you are. And your life will truly, wonderfully mean something good when you come to Jesus. Now, we saw in that video earlier with, the, with that scientist guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, however you say his name, uh, he actually hosts this uh, pretty well-known show called Cosmos. Uh, Josh Russell pointed out that's not how you say it. It's actually Cosmos. So um, uh, that's how it's meant to be said. But he's this scientist, and, and there he is. What, what I thought was interesting was his scientific view of what happens in death is actually lifted straight from the Lion King, uh, that we die and the antelope eat us and we eat the ant. Like, like basically, he's saying the circle of life and Simba, you must take your part and all that kind of stuff that, as a scientific view. But what I thought was really interesting is he says he's not afraid of death. He said, I'm not afraid of death. And he doesn't particularly want to live forever. Larry King, the interviewer, who, just looking at him, it seems like it's a more immediate prospect. Um, he seems much more honest. He's like, I'm afraid of death. And yes, please, I want to live forever. And I know which one of them, actually, I really believe on that. But when the scientist guy said, it's the knowledge that I'm going to die that creates the focus I bring to being alive, the urgency of accomplishment, the need to express love now, not later. There's a truth to what he's saying. Uh, do you know the Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 12, 
The Bible says, teach us, Lord, to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. God, teach us. Help us to remember how short our life really is, that we will die. So help us so that we can live wisely. But you know what the problem with what the scientist guy is saying is he then assumes death is not such a bad thing because it gives us focus. But that's like saying, knowing that you're going to prison gives you focus on how to spend your last remaining days of freedom. See, I'm sure that's true. But does that make going to prison a good thing because it makes me appreciate freedom? To say, I'm not afraid of going to prison because it gives me focus and urgency. No. Or knowing that I'm facing surgery where they're going to have to remove one of my limbs helps me focus on how good it is to be able to walk or hold my family. No, that still is a horrible thing coming. Yes, knowing you will die makes you appreciate life. But that's because death is horrific. And we should be afraid. Because the other thing he doesn't take into account is why we die. See, death is not an evolutionary way to make us get a move on and do stuff. That psalm I referred to earlier that tells us to number our days so we can live wisely, understand the shortness of our life, that psalm says because the reason we die is because God is angry at our unjust way of living. It says God has set our secret sins before him in the light of his presence. He sees everything we've done. And to face death, it says, is to face God's anger. That gives you focus to find forgiveness while you can so that you can find life that lasts forever so you can have real significance. Well, that brings us to our passage tonight from John chapter 11, brings us to our question of what happens when we die. And before we even get to what happens to us after we die, this passage actually reminds us of what happens to those around us when we die. See, what happens is people are left behind. And you see what this looks like is Lazarus's sisters are deeply grieving And they're mourning and the community has gathered around them to join them in crying and experiencing this tragedy. And in this community, notice no one's out working. They're not building anything or planting anything or writing music or making friends at this point. Everything has kind of stopped for these people because Lazarus is dead and his friends and his family, they come together to sit and mourn and cry and weep. And you see in this helplessness, helplessness in the face of death. What can you do? See, in verse 21, when Jesus arrives, Martha goes to meet him. But Mary, we're told, remains seated in the house because grief is debilitating, isn't it? The loss of a loved one crushes you. And even Martha, when she goes to Jesus, she can only say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have done something if you had been here. We couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't help him get better. And even if you could have, it's too late, she says. That's the devastating effect of sin, isn't it? It is too late. It is too late to say that you love them. 
It is too late to say sorry or ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness. It's too late to give comfort. It's too late to try healing or medicine. Death leaves us feeling utterly helpless. And then when Martha goes back to her sister and says, actually, Jesus is asking for you, Mary quickly goes to him and verse 32 tells us she fell at his feet, face down on the ground, fell down before him. What clearer expression of her feeling of complete helplessness. And she says exactly what her sister had said earlier. If only you had been here, Jesus, you could have done something. But it's too late. There is helplessness. And that brings us to the second aspect of people being left behind in death. We see here grief. The sisters are crying. All the people with them are crying. You see, no matter what people say about death being a natural part of life, death is always a terrible tragedy. Death is always an expression of the heartbreaking wrongness of this world. It always rips a hole out of people's lives and out of people's hearts. But did you notice that Jesus comes and asks, where have you put him? And they say, come and see. They show him the tomb and then very simply and yet very powerfully, we read verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The Lord himself, the powerful king, the one who has come from heaven, wept. God himself grieves at the pain and heartache of this world. That's what happens when we die. God himself says in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 32, he says, I take no pleasure in anyone's death, so turn back and live. If you were ever uncertain about whether God really cares for our world or does God really care for my suffering, if you want a clear sign that God actually loves us, then look at those tears. Jesus wept at the death of his friend. And so the people who saw it say, look how much he loved him. But then this leads to another aspect of people being left behind. There's helplessness, there's grief, and there's anger. See, we're told that Jesus is actually angry at Lazarus's death. Verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary crying and the Jews with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. It says it again there in verse 38, Jesus angry in himself came to the tomb. Jesus is angry at death. This passage really gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus, into the emotional life of our Lord. He's angry that his friend, this man he loves, is dead. He's angry that these women he loves have lost their brother. He's angry at death. He's angry at pain and at suffering and at the destruction of life. And he's angry at sin, which causes death. He's angry because this is not how he created the world to be. So when we feel angry at death, we're not alone. Jesus feels it too. 
But that's not the only anger, anger that we see here in this passage. We also see people angry with God. That's, what's happened. that's what happens when people die. People who had given God no time and no place in their life all of a sudden turn to him to blame him. Why did you do this? Why didn't you stop this? How could this happen to my loved one? They're angry at God. You kind of see that in verse 37, don't you? As Jesus wept, some of them who saw this said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Sure, he's sad, but couldn't he have done something? Now, in a moment or two, we're going to see Jesus has something way more extraordinary to show them in answer to their question. But first, we're confronted with what else happens when we die. And that is the body decays. Because we're told it's four days since Lazarus died. And so they've placed his body in a cave and they've put a stone across the entrance to create a tomb. Because this is what happens after you die. Your body decays. Your flesh rots away and returns to the dirt, to the dust from which God formed us. And life is gone. Which is why there's an awkward moment there in verse 39. When Jesus says, remove the stone, Martha replies to him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. And literally she says, there's already a stench. Now, no modern translation has been able to quite capture this verse as well as the good old King James Version from the 1600s, where Martha says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He stinketh. But she's right, because death is offensive. Death is not pretty. Death is ugly. And I know TV shows and the movies make it look glamorous sometimes. In fact, that guy in the video made it sound like fun, that the worms and the microbes were kind of weaving in and out and all that kind of stuff. No, death brings decay. And it does relentless damage and destruction to the look of the body and the feel of the body and the smell of the body. And that's why we respectfully dispose of bodies in burial or in cremation. It's why they put Lazarus in this tomb and they sealed it up. But then Jesus says something amazing in verse 40. He's like, you don't need to be afraid to open this tomb. You don't need to be worried about what you're going to be confronted with when you roll back the stone because now that I am here, what you will experience will not be the stench and the rot and the offensiveness of death, but now you will see the glory of God. And so they remove the stone. And then after praying to God for the benefit of those around him, Jesus prays so that they will know that God is the one who answers him. God is the one who sent him. And it's by the power of God that he brings life. Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come out. He knows this guy. He loves this guy. And he calls him by name. And notice there's no magical ceremony. He's not kind of drawing symbols on the ground and kind of meditating and chanting for hours on end to, to do this amazing. Jesus doesn't break a sweat. It's almost effortless for him to do this remarkable thing. He simply speaks and calls out loudly, Lazarus, come back to life. See, Jesus' word brings life. Even the dead can hear Jesus 
powerful voice. And those who hear will live. Four days he's been dead. Four days his lifeless body has begun to decay and it stinketh. And yet at the words of Jesus, verse 44, we're told the man came out. Lazarus lives and he's still bound hand and foot with the linen strips and the, and the face wrapped in a cloth that they, that they wrapped a dead body in. And he shuffles out and Jesus says, untie him, let him loose. And he's alive. Just imagine how the tears and the wailing and the mourning will have turned into spectacular joy at that moment. Just imagine the celebration and the laughter and the love and the, the hugging and the, and the tears of joy now. Because Lazarus is alive. So what happens when we die? Well, Jesus is telling us clearly and he's demonstrating for us powerfully that after death, there is life. See, the Bible says there is death because there is sin. Jesus brings life because he brings forgiveness. That's why he came to die for us. The sinless, perfect one died in our place. He took our death so that we could be forgiven and live forever. Jesus brings life because Jesus brings forgiveness. And see, Jesus is giving us a foretaste of what is to come. What he does with Lazarus is telling us what is going to happen in the future. And we saw that a little earlier, didn't we? When Martha had gone up to Jesus and said, if only you'd been here. Jesus had actually said in verse 23, your brother will live again. Now, Martha understands this in verse 24 as talking about the day when everyone will meet their maker. When everyone will face their judge. Verse 24, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha knows that in the far off distant future, on that last day, there will be a resurrection. That's the hope that the Bible gives us. But it's also the warning the Bible gives us. Because it tells us that on that day, those who trust in Jesus are given eternal life. But those who reject and ignore Jesus are given eternal punishment. She says, I know that there's a day coming. But look at Jesus' response. That hope that you have in the distant future, that hope is standing right here in front of you right now. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die Ever. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. See, imagine it's a, it's a freezing cold, wet, cloudy winter's day. And you're longing for the warmth and the sunlight of summer. And I said to you, I am summer. And I clicked my fingers and instantly it's warm and bright. The clouds have disappeared. It's blue skies and it's toasty warm. It's fantastic. That says something, doesn't it? Or you're really looking forward to Christmas and I say, I am Christmas. Click my fingers and then it's Christmas Day. There are lights everywhere, trees and presents and family and holidays. You see, Jesus is saying something more than I can tell you about the resurrection. Or I can give you access to life or I know some hints and tips. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the future of everything. 
The things that you love, the things that you crave and you need and you long for can only be found in him. Because he's the life. He's the ultimate fulfillment of all of them. What you're looking forward to on that day, Martha, he says, is me. And I'm already here. So watch me raise your brother. See, Jesus is saying to us, death is not the end for those who trust in him. Even if we die, we'll still live. The message that Jesus gives us about the future is refreshingly clear and unambiguous. The way to eternal life, the way to an ending future with God is not through a particular spiritual philosophy that you've got to work out. It's not through a belonging to a particular institution that you've got to follow all their rules and regulations. You don't earn your way there by living an appropriately moral life. The way to heaven, the way through death to life is relationship with Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? So what happens when we die? We will all face God. And he will give life to those Jesus loves, to those who trust in him. And he will punish those who reject his son. Jesus says, everyone who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. The one who lives and believes in me will never die. And those aren't empty promises, are they? They're not empty words. He's not boasting about something unrealistically when it's those same words, the same promise that he gives us of life forever, the same words that he gives us of life for eternity are the words that he gives Lazarus and he comes out of the tomb. The same words raise Lazarus back to life. Jesus' words are powerful and mighty. Jesus says, believe because I have proven there is life after death. So let me invite you tonight to believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in his resurrection and in his life and in his gift to us and in his forgiveness to us. Put your trust in Jesus and he says you will be forgiven. You will receive life that lasts forever and you will have such significance. You will have a place in God's kingdom. You'll be called God's children. You'll be loved and precious for eternity. Believe. Be like Martha, who says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who comes into the world. Be like Mary, who throws herself at the feet of Jesus in utter helpless dependence. Be like Lazarus, friends with Jesus, a follower of Jesus in his life so that he is raised from the dead. Come and put your trust in Jesus. Come and believe. On the inside of your new sheet, take, everyone take out their new sheet. And on the inside at the top right hand corner there, there is a prayer that I'm going to lead us in. And this really is a prayer. This is a way of speaking to God 
and saying, I do believe. I put my trust in Jesus. I, I need to be forgiven. I want to live forever. Please forgive me and change me. That's what this prayer is. It's a way of becoming a Christian. And the awesome simplicity of Christianity is just like Lazarus in the tomb. Jesus speaks and his words bring life. Tonight, Jesus' words bring life. And so all you need to do is accept it, believe it, and say yes. And so I'm going to lead, lead us in this prayer. I'm going to say it slowly. And I invite you, if this is your desire and your prayer to believe in Jesus and to receive forgiveness and eternal life and true significance, to pray this to God just in the quietness of your own mind. So we're all going to pray now and I'm going to lead us in this prayer. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.